And if there's one reflection on this side of the pandemic, it really is about prioritizing. How do we prioritize with not just the limited resources that we have, but also how do we maximize the capabilities and how do we transform that with the right sorts of partnerships? I truly believe that the future of healthcare is going to be built on the shoulders of the strongest of the partnerships. With all the buzz of new innovations, it's easy to forget that healthcare is a people business in need of technology, not a technology business in need of people. From the organizers of health, we bring you Live at Vive, a podcast where we embark on curious conversations with prominent speakers, experts, and innovators in the trenches of healthcare. Join hosts, Dr. Gotham Gulati, Jessica Shepard, and myself, Jordan Schlain, as we seek to uncover the truth behind the inner workings of our fractured healthcare system and ultimately how we can fix it together. On today's episode, we bring you my good friend, Dr. Rasu Shrestha, where we dissect and discuss the biggest issues facing our healthcare system. Rasu is Executive Vice President and Chief Strategy and Transformation Officer for Atrium Health, one of the most comprehensive and highly integrated not-for-profit healthcare systems in the nation. He's responsible for Atrium Health's enterprise strategy, including planning and tactical direction for the organization's current strategic roadmap and beyond. In addition, he spearheads a renewed focus on innovation, launching new healthcare inventions, discoveries, and ideas to benefit the patients and communities that Atrium Health serves. I'm your host, Dr. Gotham Galati. Let's get started. So welcome to the table here. We're here at Vive, and I'm joined by Dr. Rasu Shrestha with Atrium Health. And I think you joined, if I'm not correct, did you join just before COVID? I did. So I had essentially a one-year runway, you know, leading up to the pandemic. And then everything changed. <laughs> but I didn't get the memo. You know, <laughs> that, hey, you've got one year before the pandemic hits, so get your it together. You know? Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's been a little over three years at Atrium Health. So, well, that, that's amazing. So I'm, I'm curious... You know, I've been just following you and watching some of the announcements, and I can't help but notice that I feel like every couple of months there's something new or big happening with Atrium. So maybe just give us a little bit, you know, those listening, a sense of your background, how you got to Atrium, and what your sort of mandate was at Atrium. And then we can start to talk about, you know, what has shifted since, because, you know, really the world has, has sort of turned upside down since, since the COVID times. Absolutely. It has turned upside down, has it not? So, hey, so I'm, a, I'm a radiologist by background, right? So imaging was, was my life. Yeah. And then I went to some of the other eyes, so interoperability and innovation and informatics, and I embraced those eyes in a, in a very deep and personal way. And this was a couple of decades ago. Now you're ago. over to the S. <laughs> you made your way to the letter S, right? It's strategy. strategy, that's right. <laughs> Brought to you by the letter S. That's right. And transformation. <laughs> We're moving on to S&T, the letter T. Let's just move down the that's alphabet. That's right. We're moving down. But but that's you know that's been the fun part of my career, my journey in the last couple of decades. It's just you know I got into healthcare to make a difference in the life of that human being at the other end of that you know consultation, the other end of that screen, the other end of that smart glass. But here we are, you know, a couple of decades into all of this. You know what I've realized is that healthcare still needs to be disrupted in a big, big way. 
right? And and especially on this side of the pandemic, Gautam, I mean, just uh, as you look at all of the cracks and fault lines that the pandemic really shone a light on, the cracks and fault lines that existed pre-pandemic in the BC era, right? The before COVID era. <laughs> and, and, and here we are, we're still struggling. As much as we say, hey, through the pandemic, you know, we've, uh, we've stepped up our game, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, uh, decisions that would have taken three years, we, we made it in three days. But yeah, but how do, we, how do we go from heroics, which is what we did, and applaud everyone for the heroics that everyone put in during the pandemic? There was no small feat in that. But how do we make that into the status quo? And, and, and how do we make that into essentially the blueprint of how we operate, right? So, so move away from sort of the old legacy status quo and embrace this newer blueprint of, of agility, of uh, collaboration outside of your old silos and old boxes. So that's what I've been doing throughout my career is breaking down walls, building bridges, thinking outside the box and saying, all right, you know, how do we really make sure that we're able to take not just a person-centered approach to care, right? And, and how do we do this in such a way where technology is an enabler of better health and care? So that's been my in, journey. In a frictionless way. In a as frictionless way, as much as possible. I mean, look, it is, healthcare is hard. <laughs> you know, many have tried and failed miserably in trying to quote unquote solve for healthcare, right? You've seen you've seen some of the catastrophes out there and healthcare is littered with not the startups that have gone the wayside, but large companies and billions that have been pumped into healthcare that has gone sideways. So healthcare is really hard, but it's also deeply personal. And I think you know, out of all of the industries out there, it is the one industry that is really, really ripe for disruption. And I, I think we got to do it. And, and before we get into that, because I think we're going to dive into all those themes that's associated with disruption and where the changes have gone. I mean, we talk about things like tech stack and talent stack and, and, and all these different types of stacks. And you as a human, you've got like the perfect human stack right now to be leading this charge. And I recently read an article that I think it was illuminating to me in talking about your upbringing and your motivations and some of the influences that really give you this unique perspective, because you're not just sharing your thoughts and ideas based on your analysis of the marketplace per se, but also a culmination of your entire upbringing has brought you to this point. So can you maybe touch on a couple of points? Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. And uh, gosh, as I reflect back on just even the way that I was brought up and the many continents and cultures and religions that I've been exposed to throughout my life, I, I see it as such a tremendous blessing. You know, I'm at Atrium Health right now and we celebrate diversity. And for me, diversity is so much more than just about, you know, gender and skin color. It is about diversity of thought, diversity of upbringing, diversity of ideas that really need to be interwoven together to really think about what else we could do together, right? Because we are absolutely stronger together. So I was born in the foothills of the Himalayas, as they would say, right, uh, in Kathmandu, Nepal. And my parents left when I had barely started school and essentially grew up, I grew up in Southeast Asia. So there were expatriates in Southeast Asia, Brunei, Malaysia, Singapore. So I speak five languages just because, you know, I've been growing up in all these parts of the world. And that's been amazing, right? So if you look at Nepal, it's a predominantly Hindu country. Buddha was born in Nepal, mm -hmm. right? And if you ask any- Gautama Buddha. Right, right Gautama Buddha. There you go, man. <laughs> Dr. G, you know? And if you ask any Nepalese, hey, are you a Hindu? I'm like, uh-huh. Are you a Buddhist? Uh-huh. Right, because it's it just all melds into one, and then I grew up in Southeast Asia. Brunei is predominantly a Muslim country, 
and throughout what, in my early schooling days in Nepal and in Brunei and in Malaysia, Singapore, et cetera, I, I was in Christian schools, right? So Bible studies and, and all of that. And so when you look at just not just the languages and the cultures and the amazing food and the ethnicities that I was exposed to, but also the religions, it, it really you know, creates such a fertile ground for you to think differently, for you to connect at a very visceral, at a very human level with this other person that's at the other end that you're staring into their eyeballs, right? And I, and I think that's really important uh, when you're talking about... It's like you grew up with an empathetic perspective of the world, right? Well, I was so blessed with it. I was blessed with it, right? And, and I, I think it's really important for us to, hence, travel, for us to really connect with diverse people and diverse thinking and challenge our mindsets. I mean, we got to get out of the well. <laughs> you know, I think that's really, really important. And, and I say that, you know, having now, you know, a U.S. citizen, you know, several decades here in the United States, and I and I love it, right? And coming in from the outside, you know that this really is the land of opportunities. This is where innovation is happening. This is where we can actually bring all of these different capabilities in the urgency of the now, the urgency of the moment, and truly, truly transform. And if not in the United States, again, with the right stakeholders internationally, where else, right? And and so so I, I really think that diversity. That unique perspective on diversity really helps. So how is this? So that's fantastic. I think a lot of this is now culminating now in this world. We've talked for years and you've been at the same conferences that I have talking about STOH and social determinants of health. But now this is all coming into practice, right? It's all coming to a helm with COVID happening, equity, access, giving, uh, affordability, all of these different factors that have sort of been I guess sort of not influence, but you sort of gained that perspective over your career. How is that now culminating into what you're doing at Atrium? You know, so a little over three years ago when uh, Atrium Health reached out to me, I was in the comfort of what, you know, some would say was a dream job at UPMC. And it was fantastic. 12 years at UPMC, you know, it grew from an organization that was at that point about 10, 12 hospitals to $12 billion health system with another $12 billion on the payer side, a total $24 billion, right? So it grew dramatically. The health plan was uh, pretty much a, a startup. Uh, when I joined and when, when I left, I mean, it had grown to, what, 3.1 million lives covered. It was just dramatic, the transformation at UPMC. But Gene Woods, who's the president at Atrium Health, said, hey, why don't you come over? Why don't you spend a day with us? And I did. And that just blew my mind. You know, I fell in love with Gene and his vision around what it really means to create impact. And Gene, at that point, was still fairly new to Atrium Health, and he was building out his team, and he, and he really wanted me for the strategy position. And spending a day and more at Atrium, I could see what Gene was up to. So what, was the, what is the breadth and depth of Atrium right now? Like, what is it covering? How many lives? How many providers? How, many, yeah. how big is that system? So over 7 million lives covered. We're about 70,000 teammates um, $12, $13 billion of a health system across um, the Southeast, so North, South Carolina, Georgia, and some of the neighboring states. And we continue to grow. And, and so Gene essentially is such a driven leader, and he's very empathetic as well. And for him, impact is about how do we serve, right? And even in the last three years that I've been at Atrium Health, the opportunity to work with Gene and many leaders and the board around things like social impact. I mean, if you look at Charlotte, 
right? Unlike Pittsburgh, and nothing wrong with Pittsburgh, I loved my time in Pittsburgh, by the way, right? Charlotte is one of the fastest growing cities in North America, growing faster than San Francisco, yeah. by the way, right? It's a beautiful town. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's also the second largest financial hub after New York City. But one of the things I found out as I was moving to Charlotte is uh, on, on the list of the top 50 metropolitan cities for upward mobility, Charlotte ranks number 50. So think about the gaps between the haves and the have-nots, right? So it's you know, one of the fastest growing cities in North America, the second largest financial hub, but also number 50. And it's and, probably been further divided as a result of the pandemic, right? Absolutely. Exactly right. So I said, all right, look, that is emblematic of what's wrong with healthcare in the United States today, the gaps between the haves and the have-nots. And if we can solve for it in the Southeast, then we have a blueprint that we can scale nationally. I mean, that's, that's the way that we need to really move forward. And, and so marrying Gene's passion and leadership, marrying what I saw there in terms of the gaps that we could really close in through the right partnerships, through the right technologies, through the right you know, capabilities, and, and then how do we then scale that nationally? So that, that really was what brought me to Atrium Health, and it's been a tremendous ride just even in the last few years. So just to put, you know, challenge you a little bit on that, what you're solving for. So people have been trying to solve for the, the divide for, for a number of years unsuccessfully. What, in your view, that you're doing at Atrium that you think will be able to close that gap between the haves and the have-nots? Look, I think one of the biggest challenges for us in healthcare is that we've been too siloed in our approaches. The business models of healthcare have really constrained the level of innovation, the level of thinking, as well as the level of collaboration, right? Uh, healthcare has really been driven by the business models of volume-based healthcare. And even as we talk about value-based healthcare, you know, it's good, but it's not good enough, right? And I talk about how good enough healthcare isn't what we actually need in healthcare, right? So one of the things that we're really driving forward as a blueprint at Atrium Health is how we partner and collaborate public-private partnerships, really, first of all, this thing Which about was empathy. also your strong suit when you were over at UPMC. Well, you established you. a lot of uh, yeah. no, no. great collaborations. And, and I think that's important, right? For us to lead first with empathy. You got to sit down and understand what's happening at the, at the grassroots level. You got to look people in the, in the whites so of the So are you eyeballs. out in the communities over there we talking are. to them? We are. Yeah, we're talking to our communities, the leaders, the everyday people, right? And what are you hearing for the most what, part? What we're hearing is that people are struggling. And this is not just through the pandemic, right? Like I said, the pandemic just accentuated those cracks and fault lines, but they're struggling. They're struggling with um, their identity. They're struggling with all of the change that ha that's happening in their communities and in the world. They're struggling with, and we've seen this dramatically in the last several years, what is fact and what is fiction. Mm, yeah. Right? They're struggling. Truth. What is truth? They're struggling with truth. They're struggling with choice. And they're struggling to make ends meet even, right? So... There are a lot of struggles. And in those struggles, we throw in something as complex as healthcare, as deeply personal as healthcare. Because most people in the current definition of healthcare interact with healthcare in a moment of distress, right? And they're, oh my goodness, I just saw this lump. My, well, my radiologist saw this lump and I was told that I have the C word, you know, I've got cancer or my mom, or my dad, or my son, or we just had this accident and we, you know, we just got this cough that's not going away, could it be COVID, right? So you, you interact with healthcare in, in our current definition of healthcare in this moment of distress. And those struggles that I was talking about earlier, right? You marry that with the distress that you're going through in healthcare and the chaos that exists in healthcare. It's a no-win situation. It's a no-win situation for health systems like us and it's a no-win situation for the people 
that are out there in the communities. So I, I think we need to dramatically change. And so what we've been doing is really empathetically talking to the folks, making sure that we're formulating the right partnerships. And we saw how the power of partnerships done right can really dramatically uh, move the needle through the pandemic, right? So public-private partnerships, you know, Honeywell, they're headquartered out of Charlotte. So Darius, who's the CEO of Honeywell, is a good friend of Gene's. And it, beyond the friendship, it's also the amazing capabilities of the supercomputing power that Honeywell, who knew, has. But, but also, how do we then use that for good with a large health system like Atrium Health that's motivated towards social impact? And what we're able to do was the mass vaccination campaigns. You know, we had dramatically, you know, dramatically every day, 20,000 people, you know, shot in the arm every four seconds. And, and all of the logistics behind that, the AI that powered, you know, some of the data flows, as well as, you know, at Atrium, us creating data walls to look at the social determinants elements and saying, hey, you know, how do we really go after those gaps that we were talking about earlier and use data and GIS capabilities to really drive towards impact? So within a matter of 24 hours, we're able to send our mobile clinics, our roving units to these underserved communities and essentially level up the playing field, right, between that zip code and the neighboring other zip code, right? And that's, those are the things that we can actually do with the right sorts of partnerships, with leveraging data and insights and making it actionable and making sure that you're able to really focus in on impact versus being constrained by the yesteryear's business models. Now, are you focused on, I want to talk because you guys announced a new medical school, Pearl, new innovation district. I want to talk about some of the things that you've actually rolled out over the past couple of years to build on what you're talking about to enhance the impact in the community. Are you currently focused on just that region and then eventually scaling from there? Or are you doing it with scale in mind as you're building out these programs? I do nothing without scale in mind. I think it's futile. You know, I, I use a phrase called glocal, right? You know, you, you, you got to think globally, but act locally. And you have to do that, right? And it is deeply personal. It is deeply local as healthcare is, but you got to think about scale. You got to think about, you know, what else and where else and, and how else. So the innovation district, we're really excited about this. You know, in the three years that I've been at Atrium Health, one of the things that we've been working towards is how do we bring a four-year medical school to Charlotte? Charlotte is one of the larger metropolitan cities in the country to not have a four-year medical school. And nothing magical about one more four-year medical school, but this will be the most innovative medical school in the country, the first of its kind on this side of the pandemic. And as we were working our way towards it, you know, we came together with Wake Forest, now Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist. The Wake Forest School of Medicine is, is now part of Atrium and what we're doing to continue to move education forward. And so what we're doing is we're building out a second campus of the Wake Forest School of Medicine in Charlotte's first. And it's going to be located smack in the middle of our innovation district. And we just a couple of days ago announced that the innovation district is going to be called the Pearl after the Pearl district, which was uh, predominantly, in fact, the most dense black community in all of the Carolinas. And that's where we're going to be building out the, the innovation district. And in the middle of that innovation district will be this most innovative medical school in the country. In the middle of that innovation district will be the intersections of, of researchers and private equity and, and venture capital and fintech and health tech and social impact uh, learners and doers really coming together. And it's that melting pot that we're really creating in the pearl, right? So I said, uh, the queen city mm. gets her pearl. <laughs> I love it. So, so to train future docs, you have to basically have a take on what you believe 
is going to be necessary for what those future, what the future healthcare system looks like, right? So what are you going to be doing differently in terms of addressing the needs that are not being addressed today or in the past? I mean, when we went through medical school, vastly different times, we weren't trained on things like nutrition and fitness and all these different things are now coming into the holistic care of the human being. What do you see doing differently that's going to set them up for the next 30, 50, 100 years to treat uh, the way we need to be treated? First of all, you got to create the right space and the right culture and the atmosphere. And we've been working towards that. We've also amassed 21 and a half acres of space, uh, actually pretty close to uptown Charlotte, just next to CMC Carolina's Medical Center. So it's going to be a nice greenway, a biking trail that connects the that the, the huge healthcare facility with the innovation district and the medical school and then uptown Charlotte. So the livability element, I think, is really important. That's, that's all important because when you think about change as it relates to how we're educating the future learners and how we're tr- teaching them to innovate outside of the box, right? So it's not, you know, hey, you go through med school and then you learn all of these things about technology and how you work with EMRs and how you work collaboratively with a nurse and the care team. We're training all of that and instilling the ethos of innovation directly into that curriculum itself, right? So we have a a 3.8 million square foot innovation district that we're building out. And then we're really upping the curriculum. You know, I said earlier that this will be the most innovative medical school in the country. So we're bringing in critical thinking alongside clinical skills. Uh, As we look at health system science, we're teaching implementation science, because I think that's really important as well. We're talking about health equity, which I think is critical. So when you talk about health and wellness and disease prevention and social impact, how do we ingrain that into the curriculum itself? And then something called ideals, right? Inclusion, diversity, equity, advocacy, leadership, and social justice. Again, part of that curriculum. And then innovation and entrepreneurship, which I know you're smiling from ear to ear when, you, when I hear you say that. But look, we went through med school and we learned the Krebs cycle. And, and how many times have we used the Krebs cycle? I use the Krebs cycle every day, Russell. Do you know? So That's for those, wonderful. So for those <laughs> listening, you're probably hearing this third mysterious voice that just joined in, Dr. Jordan Schlain. This is how we roll here. We just... Uh, you know, just have the conversation, have people join in. So welcome to the conversation. Thank Jordan. you, Gotham. Uh, the good news is I know, Rasu, <laughs> yeah. we go way back. In fact, I remember a night out playing pool in some bar and I can't remember what city on the health innovation uh, train. All I remember was it was fantastic conversation. I don't know what else you remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I remember. Yeah, exactly I'm right. sure it went down the philosophical path at some point. It always does. <laughs> so you use the Krebs cycle every day. That's fantastic. I don't use the Krebs cycle every day, but I use it as a metaphor for, you know, and understanding who we are and then trying to understand how we are. I think everybody um, exists on a trajectory, sadly downward, and we just don't understand where we are in the context of our health and our and our longevity and i say longevity not like how do you live forever but how do we how do we live our best lives well that's exactly right absolutely and that's you know that's uh, that's something that i'm really passionate about as you both know and when we think about you know widening that aperture and moving from patient centered care to person centered care it, we're not moving away from the patient the patient is still in the middle of everything that we're doing all we're doing is we're widening that aperture we're saying, all right, how do we make sure that we're able to not just focus in on sick care, right? Because if you broaden that a little bit, it's, it's really around getting better from an illness. It's also about preventative care. 
uh, it, it is then about wellness, right? I'm, I'm continuing to broaden that pie there as I uh, broaden that aperture. So preventative care and wellness is good. But I think that bigger circle, that bigger end that we really want to get at is how do we lead our best life? How do we thrive? But that's not typically the bread and butter of a health system historically, right? So what do you guys, how do you make money off of it? I mean, there are businesses that have to run these operations. Yeah. And to that point, I was talking with a friend of mine who runs a medical group that takes risk and they're fully at risk. And he was telling me that, you know, there are people that get discharged from the hospital and because they're at risk for a readmission and the cost of that, they will pay for someone to go make sure they take their medicines, drive them to their appointments, make them step on their scale. Again, that's a version of living your best life, which is not going back to the hospital. I think about the more you engage with the healthcare system, the less you're engaging with the the, your best life, right? I mean, ultimately, you want to optimize the engagement with the healthcare system, but that's an expense, <laughs> as as Gotham's saying. But it's it's also an investment in the person from the system because they've got this kind of skin in the game. How, how does a big healthcare system like navigate kind of transitioning from fee for service to risk? Well, that is the problem that we have. We're stuck in the rut, right? I mean, we're we're in this mud pit of ICD-10 and CPT yep. codes that basically incentivizes you for widgets, for things that you do to the patient, not with the patient mm. or for the patient. And that's that's the problem that we're, we're in right now. And I think if we broaden that aperture and we say, all right, you know, not just what's the matter with you, but, you know, what matters most to you, right? If we ask those questions and if we then create the right business models to actually incentivize us doing that, right now, even the data that we have today, right? And again, when you look at you know, all of the clinical data in the EMR and you say, all right, interoperability isn't just about clinical data, meds, allergies, immunizations, problems, labs, documents. It's also about you know, claims data. All right, that's good. Throw in social determinants data. That's great, okay? But still, what we're struggling with is those, are those data blind spots. Why a patient didn't show up for his or her appointment is a data blind spot. We don't know that. They didn't show up. Right? There isn't an ICD-10 code or a CPT code. They just didn't show up. But if we're able to really understand the, the drivers, the motivators, and this, this goes even beyond social determinants, right? and understand those gaps that we were talking about earlier, got them, and then solve for those gaps, right? really focus in and solving for those gaps. I think that's that's It's the, knowing that's what those gaps actually are, which is oftentimes a difficult thing. I like to say that health is a story over time, not a point in time. And everything that we do from an innovation, from a business model perspective, is about when they engage with our healthcare system, which is oftentimes too late, yep. right? But understanding what is contributing to their health in those gaps is often, like you said, the blind spot. I mean, what's interesting that you say that, and I want to get very specific with you on how you, how you actually engage people with them, not to them. But I was reading an article on the plane last night, and it was uh, World War II. They were analyzing uh, maybe World War I, maybe it was two, the bullet holes in planes. And planes had all these bullet holes, and they landed, and they're like, wow, look at these bullet holes. We need to bolster those areas of the plane because somehow they didn't get shot down, and they got that many bullet holes. And then somebody said, well, actually, they did a map of the plane and all the bullet holes, and they showed the areas where there wasn't bullet holes on the planes that landed. And someone said, actually, that's the place where they're probably being shot down. We just are looking at the data that we have. And so data is the ore. The insights are the gold. And so you may have blind spots in the data, but it's not actually the, 
the data that you think you have the blind spots in, it's, it's, it requires looking at the data in totality and figuring out, well, where are those places? So they wound up bolstering the parts of the plane that didn't have bullets. And that was the thing that made more planes come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, we've got this strategy at Atrium Health that we've pulled the trigger on called Connected Care Everywhere. Right. So again, it's saying, all right, you know, what does health and care look like outside of the bricks and mortar facilities of the traditional hospital systems? And look, we're, we're not never going to need those bricks and mortar facilities. Always going to need them. You're always going to need them. Always going to need them. Always right? going to need them. But we have to broaden that aperture. So connected care everywhere really does that by leveraging the power of data, but it's also the, the power of the human connections. You know, we, we talk a lot about digital health. And the way that we look at it at Atrium Health is it's digital in health. It's not just digital health, it's digital in-health. How do we leverage digital to drive the right elements of health? We've got to meet them where they are, right? And around Connected Care Everywhere, leveraging all of these capabilities to say, all right, how do we engage the person? How do we hear the person? How do we know the person, right? In in that Venn diagram of the engage me, hear me, and know me is that person that's sitting right in the middle. And we have, you know, front stage capabilities that engage and enable those persons, the consumers in their health and care journey. We have the hear me elements of the sensing and the, even the market research capabilities, the knowing of, you know, where they are in their social determinants, what they can afford, the affordable housing, the food, the struggles that they're going through, as we we're talking about earlier, in the context of that NF1 and their circle of trust. And that know me the backstage capabilities that really enable us for us to be a lot more proactive in our approach so that we're able to really understand the motivators and the drivers behind the decisions that they make or do not make. And I think those capabilities, when you're bringing them together, you have not just the elements of personalized care and connected health and the quantified self that we've talked about, but really that person-centered approach to care that we really need to be driving I, I, for. I have two questions. You know, I, I was uh, with a friend of mine who uh, runs a pharmaceutical company on neuroinflammatory disease. And he was doing a study and had these patients come in and they were, they were behind the glass. So they were, the doctor was interviewing the patient and the pharmaceutical executives were behind watching the interview process. And they were shocked at the number of patients that were not telling this doctor all of their history. And they're all selective, of the, right? They're, they're very selective in it. But the people, because they saw their primary care doctors and then they went to the oncologist for treatment and they didn't tell the oncologist all the stuff that they knew. And that the, but the people behind the glass knew. And so after the interview, the doctors or the pharmaceutical people went to the patients and said, hey, how come you didn't tell this doctor these really important? Well, I thought he already knew. Or like I, I was kind of intimidated by this guy. And, and so when you get- Or they selectively choose what they actually think is relevant or not relevant. That's right. And so that's not a problem of the medical system. And well, I think it's a meta problem because there's like lack of trust and lack of clarity and lack of transparency and what, what the goal, what the broader objective goals are. We don't- we don't do a lot of explaining. We try to do a lot of gathering of data. And I think that that when people are anxious, and I think everybody who's going into the healthcare system has a degree of anxiety inside of them, they fundamentally think differently. The way they logically interpret information and, and interactions is different than when you're excited. So my two questions, so that was yep. like the prelude. The two questions are, how often, Razu, do you go down to the clinic and observe interactions with your clinicians and your patients to really kind of, because that's the messy part. That's where you can have all the big apertures and the big data and the big sensors. But but I wonder, like, that's where, to me, the nuggets of I've learning. got a part two of that question. Yeah. And, and then, that. Yeah. And then the other thing is, what is the most exciting investment you've made that tries to solve for that problem surface? Well, that's great. So on the first part, we do that every day, all day long. 
you know, part of the strategy and transformation office, and this goes into the second part as well, the investment that we've made is the investment really in how we organize as a team in really addressing those pain points and those problems, right? So when I joined Atrium Health, we created our strategy and transformation office. And we said, look, functions that are traditionally in different parts of the organization that aren't talking to each other, you know, you've got, you've got innovation on one end and strategy on one end, and, and then operations and clinical on the other end, right? And forever the twain shall never meet, right? And you've got the culture clash, you've got, all, you know, got great ideas, but then you really want to know about the impact at the other end. So what we said was we got to, um, function differently so that we can get those different outcomes that we really need. So we have strategy planning alongside what we call our new ventures group, which has our innovation function with our chief innovation officer, with, with the investment arm, the partnerships, um, the, the IP tech transfer, et cetera. Then we've got a third arm around marketing communication. Now we call marketing communications and consumer. And the foundations of all of that is data and analytics with our chief information analytics officer and really driving the elements of data to make the decisions, you know, the evidence-based guidelines, the clinical practices, the science behind the what and the how and, and the why. So I think that's really important. And, and the investments around even building that culture, building that team have given rise to so many other investments. Right? We're putting our money where our mouth is through the strategic investment fund, but tying it intently. How big is that fund? So we're growing it to a $250 million fund right now as we speak. So we just, it's been pretty dramatic in, in how we've actually evolved that fund to not just later stage investments, which is where it was when I joined Atrium, to now much earlier stage investments, more of a diversified portfolio. So earlier stage investments are higher risk. So you got to be willing to like lose like three out of 10 investments. And I know people hate losing in the investment space, but in order to... You know, I just saw that uh, some big uh, crypto people are going to create a fund and they're like, we want to fail five to 10 times because that's how we're going to find the five great things. So, but that's not typically a healthcare investment thesis is like failure. Well, exactly right. And that's also not how we're organized. You know, uh, yes, fail fast is is a culture. It's the DNA of what we've built into the strategy transformation office, as well as how we're now functioning across Atrium Health. But the reason we're diversifying our investments and saying, oh, we've got to put our money where our mouth is, but as a living lab, when you look at Atrium Health as this academic learning health mm-hmm, system, mm-hmm. with the A being small, not, yeah. not capital, meaning it's a verb, right? We use, we use um, you know, science and rigor and, and data and research to inform the decisions that we make. The way we've organized ourselves is, look, we are not just signing checks and investing into companies as private equity or bankers would. We're co-creating. We're looking at the data that we have, this living lab that we have. So what are the like the last three? But so most of the innovation hubs that I've seen that have been, I mean, whether they win or lose, they're always focusing on solving at least a problem that's identifiable within their system. So at minimum, you've solved for a local problem in your institution. You know, the greatest reward is if you can scale it across and have a big win. But even if you don't scale it, you've got some good ROI metrics internally. Yeah. People are having better healths and lives. Right. So you can hedge it quite a bit by solving for your own problems that are within your within your system. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you look at, you know, so some of the things that we've been doing, you know, you look at home health. All right. And you take the models that we've actually been developing in cardiovascular at the Sanger Heart and Vascular Institute. You know, we've got a model called Perfect Care, where when you discharge patients with heart failure or recovered from heart failure or patients that have hypertension, how do we know that they're not just being monitored, but they're actually, you know, on that path towards wellness and, and they're thriving? Engaging. They're engaging. Absolutely. Right. So we've built these models and through our 
innovation principles that we've brought in, we've really looked at, all right, how do we make this sticky? How do we make the right thing to do the thing to do, right? And, and so we've really built out the perfect care model to a point where as we look at the extension of the amazingly successful hospital at home model, that's another example that we've put in place in the last two years, which is now the largest hospital at home program in the country, right, at Atrium Health. We're saying, all right, what's the next evolution of those two things coming together? And how does that play into that connected care everywhere strategy that we we're talking about earlier, right? It's those types of elements where we're saying, all right, it really is taking the best of who we are as this learning health system as we're creating things like the EFI, right? The specifics of the, the measures and metrics around aging, uh, smart aging. And we're saying, all right, as we look at home health, as we really look at what's next in terms of innovation, that's what we bring to the table is partnering then with the right companies and, and the investment element then just becomes a natural enabler of those impacts that we're then striving So I know for. we're going to have to come to a close relatively soon, but before we do that, I do want to shift gears a little bit and just ask you, I mean, there's, there's so much stuff that has changed over the past couple of years and you with the role, chief strategy and transformation, how do you prioritize? How do you make sense? How do you organize all of the changing, changes happening in front of us? And then for you specifically, which efforts do you decide and prioritize on? You know, one of the big things that I scribbled on my whiteboard in my office uh, in Charlotte like way back when pre-pandemic was inoculate ourselves against the shiny object syndrome. I, I think that is so darn critical. I mean, we're, we're talking all day long about, you know, Bitcoin and AI and nothing wrong with Bitcoin and AI and blockchain. Those are all amazing things. But how do we inoculate ourselves against the shiny object syndrome and really focus in on the impact that we need to be creating? And, and that's the process. That's the rigor. That's the discipline. That's the culture that we've been building across the strategy transmission office. And that's in place. And luckily, as we were talking about earlier, I had a one, one year runway just before the pandemic hit us. And we were able to do amazing things in, in the last two years, even through the pandemic in terms of transformation. But prioritization, if there's one reflection on this side of the pandemic, it really is about, you know, prioritizing. How do we prioritize with not just the limited resources uh, that we have, but also how do we maximize the capabilities and how do we transform that with the right sorts of partnerships, right? Because I think that's really important. I, I truly believe that the future of healthcare is going to be built on the shoulders of the strongest of the partnerships. And it's those atypical partnerships. When I say partnership, it's not just about a, a press release and a pilot and, and even an investment. It really is about meaningful partnerships that, that have an element of skin in the game, that have an element of co-creation, and that, have an, uh, that has an element of aligned vision towards what that impact really looks like. Right? So it could be with the city or the county right, in public health. It could be with a startup out of Silicon Valley. It could be with another academic institution. It could be with a community leader or a faith-based leader, right? It's those sorts of partnerships that we really know will help us focus and distill our prioritization process, because so, I think that's really critical. Yeah, so, so, so if you could just illuminate one of those, like with a one a very, I mean, we've been very high level, but but can you get very specific about like the one thing that you've invested in that that you're really proud of that's working that you know just kind of crack let's let's zero we've been at, you know let's zoom all the way down to the ground so uh, let me I could talk about a just one thing, number of things. Just one thing, just if, one we, thing. if we talk about social impact I know we're running out of time yeah. so social impact is a big driver for us at Atrium sure. Health right our mission is health hope and healing for all that for all part of the mission statement is really critical so in social impact uh, one of the things that we've we've been doing is really 
working around a plethora of affordable housing. So what does that mean? I mean you, you, you pay for housing or you build housing? Or so you- we've, we've actually worked with the city and created a fund that then looks at, you know, through our data walls, through our analytics, um, the underserved populations uh, across the communities that we're a part of. And yeah, it is RX housing. You know, we are actually prescribing affordable housing to the right populations that we're serving, right? And we're marrying that then with some of the other partnerships that we have around food as medicine, some of the other partnerships that we have with uh, entities like the YMCA, and really then focusing in on, all right, how do we bring in uh, what, you know, that segment of the community really needs to continue to truly thrive at the next level? That's amazing. I love that. Prescribing affordable housing. I've heard about prescribing food before. I've done that. But in order to prescribe affordable housing, there needs to be affordable housing. <laughs> like there needs to be the inventory for that. And so that's like a whole. Separate- Which comes back to the private public partnerships with yep. the right. city and the government. Yeah. The yep. So we're actually doing that. And and that's difficult to do in a, in a city like Charlotte. And when you think about scaling that, because we're talking yeah, no, about it's scaling, a long-term that, strategy. it absolutely is a long term strategy. Well, this is great. Well, it's good to have the crew back together. Again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah great <laughs> to see you again. I'm glad you're. Uh, Making big changes out there, and I, I, you know, I think what w- what would be really important for for me and for Gotham and for everybody at this conference is, is for you to sh- highlight in some demonstrable, simple way, like what you're doing and how other people can learn from it. Because a lot of the problems that I see in big healthcare is, is as much as we're trying to break down the silos, we all live in our silos. And how do you take your great idea and just share it Absolutely. broadly? Yep. Yeah. Exactly right. And the communities that were formed through the pandemic, how do we use those communities to truly then engage in those specific demonstrable elements and then scale it? Right. Because I think that's critical. Wonderful. Thanks, Russell. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you're still here, I'm hoping it's because you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. We'll be releasing new episodes regularly. And to stay on top of the hottest topics, simply subscribe to Live at Five wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review. This podcast is a product produced and mixed by Well Played Media in partnership with Health, the organizers of the annual Vive conference. Remember to subscribe. And if you have an idea for a non-boring show in health or medicine, email us your idea at hello at wellplayed.health. Are you interested in seeing and meeting many of the guests we interview on this show? Be sure to check out viveevent.com and join us at next year's conference. See you next time.